Welcome to the Community of Faith podcast, where you will hear the exposition of God's Word taught by Rev. Patrick Parham, pastor of Faith Community Fellowship in Bristol, Tennessee. If you are in the Bristol area and would like to visit, please join us for Sunday morning worship beginning at 10 a.m. If you're not able to join us in person, join us online. Visit our website, faith-cf.org. That's faith-cf.org. Or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash faithcommunityfellowshipbristol. That's all one word, Faith Community Fellowship Bristol. Here at Faith Community Fellowship, our goal is to ensure that what we do is edifying to our Heavenly Father, and we hope that this podcast is a blessing to you. Let's join Pastor Pat as he brings us God's Word. Well, I'm going to go back to 1 Peter this morning. We kind of left off in the middle of a section last time about help in the present time. Help in our present circumstances, so to speak. And so I want to read the first 12 verses of this chapter again. And we'll move ahead a little bit more in our study after a little bit of review. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found a praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired, searched diligently. Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you? Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicated when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you. Through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Let's pray. Lord, as we move into this portion of the service where we look into your word, we ask that you would steal our minds. Cause us to be focused on the word of God. To follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and to listen to the voice of Jesus speaking through his word. I ask that you would 
sanctify me and use me even though I have sin in my members and that You would open the hearts and minds of all of us here today that we could read this not only as a letter to Christians of centuries ago, but we could see that it is the Word of God directed to us here this morning. And that in so seeing, we can find principles that will help us every day. For we live in a sin-cursed world. We live in fallen bodies. And we long to live righteous lives before You. And we need Your help. And we need Your teaching. So we come to You asking that You would guide us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now we talked about down through verse 7 last time. You remember Peter talking about our hope for the future in verses 3 through 5. Then in verse 6 through 9, he's talking about our help in the present. Verses 10 through 12 talks about a look at the past, but we got to finish up our help for the present first. But by way of review, you remember in verse 6 and 7, we saw some things and thoughts that might help us in everyday life. One was that no matter what goes in our, in our, on in our lives and and all types of circumstances come in. But whatever's going on, at whatever time, we can greatly rejoice that our standing in God and our future hope remains constant. Regardless of where we are in any particular day in our walk in life, our standing before God is constant. Our hope of heaven is constant. And then when we got into verse 6, we talked about trials. And we tried to, to emphasize a couple qualifiers there. They, they come into our lives, yes, but they don't last forever. They're for a little while. And so it helps us greatly, especially when we're in the midst of a trial, to look at things with a long-term outlook. Look at things from an eternal outlook. From a vantage point of looking through them into heaven. And then the second qualifier was God only sends a trial when He sees and knows that it's necessary for our good. They are sent on an as-needed basis. And they're various. That was the fourth point that I tried to make. Trials are various because people are various. We're different. And God is sending the right test at the right time for the right person in order to continually shape that person, be it me or you or, or someone else, into the Christian He wants them to be. Into the sort of Christian that is a good testimony of His love. Now, the subject has not changed as we go into verse 8 and 9. He's still talking about help for the present. He's still talking about trials and, and, and how to Look to God for help in trials. And, and, and as we saw some helps in verse 6 and 7, now he talks about something that we can all relate to. You see, we as Christians, one reason trials come into our lives, one reason God tests us, so to speak, 
is so that we can learn to have a total dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. A total dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in the end of verse 7 that trials are so that we can our, our, test can, our faith can be found to praise, honor, and glory to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, how is that going to be accomplished? How are we going to get to that point? How are we going to be found to praise, honor, and glory when Christ comes back? Well, the way is, we have to live for Christ and in Christ now. In this age. And He, he gives us some great helps here. Verse 8, whom having not seen, you love. You see, that, that sounds so simple, and it is. It sounds so basic, so fundamental, but it's something that we forget from time to time. You see, if we're going to have what the Lord wants us to have, which is unspeakable joy, Christian joy in our lives, there's only one way to do it, and that is be a total lover of Jesus Christ. That is, we must cling to Him. We must be contented with Him. We must be contented with Him. And that's, that's somewhat where the rub comes in because, well, we would say, well, yes, I'm contented with Christ. Well, yes, we are on a certain level. All of us are. But we like other things too, don't we? And that's where so many of us Christians go astray. We, we begin to get our eyes off of the one object of our affection and begin to look at, at the things that He has given us around us. In other words, we become distracted by the things in the world that in and of themselves may not be sinful at all. But it takes our eyes off of our Lord. And so God comes along in a trial and he begins to remove some of those distractions. He begins to take them away. And the proper response would be to thank him and get our eyes back on him. But sometimes we we get upset and we have to work through things. But what it to be in love with Christ is to be continued with him. It means that he is. Enough. If a man and a woman are married, the vows state that they are totally committed to one another. A man is supposed to be committed to that one woman. And she is enough. It's not her plus somebody else. And if we are continued with Christ, He is all that we need. Now, if He allows us to have other things, and He does all the time, He's so gracious. That's wonderful. And we can enjoy them. The Scriptures say, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. There's nothing wrong with things as long as they don't get in the way. But never derive our contentment there. Derive our contentment from Christ. That's the first thing that helps us in trials. Whom having not seen you love. Secondly, in verse 8, though now you do not see him, yet believing, 
Christians are believers in Christ. You remember Thomas was one of the disciples. He was a Christian. He believed in the Lord. But he said, I'm not going to believe He's raised from the dead until I actually touch Him. Until I can put my finger in the holes in His hand. And that might be what Peter is thinking about here. But Jesus looked at Thomas a week later and said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And true Christians believe in Christ. That's not just a likely assenting to the fact that Jesus exists, but it is to have confidence in Him, to have our trust in Him, and to be committed to Him. To be committed to Him. Again, that's that's, that's something that I've I've struggled with over the years, and I, I, I feel confident I'm not the only one. Because we think, well, Christ saved me, and I know He's going to take me to heaven. But on the way between here and there, I might, I might need to do a whole lot of things on my own. Well, there are a lot of things we have to do, but we do them God's way following His guidelines and His principles. Whatever we do, we need to do it out of a commitment to Christ. Paul wrote it this way, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then the third thing here in verse 8 is we are rejoicers. We are rejoicers. Whether we're in a trial or not, whether times are wonderful or whether from our point of view they're not so great, we are rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory. The idea is a celebration. You see, as long as we have our eyes fixed on the Lord, looking at things from an eternal viewpoint, as long as we put our trust completely in Him, we can rejoice by celebrating our position in Him. We can celebrate our future with Christ and celebrate our dependence upon Christ regardless of what's going on. If we're going to gain the knowledge God would have us through suffering and trials, then we must continually celebrate our wonderful Lord. That's easy when things are going great. But what about when they aren't? Still, we need that inexpressible joy, full of glory. We are celebrators of our relationship with Him. And then in verse 9, we are receivers. We receive the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. The conclusion of all these things is the salvation of our souls. Peter is not excluding the body. He's just speaking of what we presently possess. And we presently have, right now in this room, received salvation of our souls. Our bodies will be redeemed at the resurrection. But our souls are saved now, he said, I want you to concentrate on the here and now in verses 6 through 9. It's a present possession. We already have it. And in this we can greatly rejoice. We possess the salvation of our souls in the glorious hope we saw in verses 3 through 5. We possess the salvation of our souls as it is represented in the captain of our salvation. We possess the salvation of our souls in the down payment of the Holy Spirit living within us as He witnesses with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God. He is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. So anytime we might begin to feel like the load is a little bit too heavy. Or maybe the test or the trial is a little bit too severe. 
Or maybe there might be a day that we begin to think, well, maybe Satan's he's actually winning this battle today. We need to consider the conclusion of the whole matter. We are receiving the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Now, if you move on into the next section, we talked about the first nine verses. Peter pointing us to our great hope for the future. Pointing us to the wonderful, marvelous helps we have in the present. Now, he wants us to have an appreciation of our position. And in order to do that, he points us back to the past. He points us back to the past. He takes us back to the prophets. He lifts our eyes heavenward toward the angels. You see, if you go back and look in the past, in the Old Testament, Christians didn't always have the full knowledge that we have now. The New Testament was concealed in the Old. But the Old Testament is revealed in the New, and that's much better. In the Old Covenant, the light of the Gospel was there, but it was somewhat hidden as to details. But now, the glorious morning star, the morning star from on high, Son of God Himself, the only begotten of the Father, just like I talked about over in Hebrews, in the, especially the third verse of the first chapter, he is alone. He's in the bosom of the Father. Jesus has declared God the Father. If we understand what Peter is saying, we'll begin to have an appreciation of our position in Christ and that will in, uh, enhance our enjoyment. That's what he's talking about in verses 10 through 12. He said the prophets, Old Testament prophets, they actually inquired and they searched diligently. Now remember who he's talking about. He's talking about the Old Testament spokesman for God. The ones that he talks about over in his second epistle is being carried about uh, by the Holy Spirit. Just like a leaf is carried about by the wind as he penned the Word of God. The human instruments God used to write the Old Testament. The very words of God. These men inquired. They searched diligently. And they wanted to know the very things Peter had been writing about right here. They really did. And this very knowledge of the person and work of the Lord that we enjoy, the men of old, the men of God, the prophets, they inquired about it and they searched and they searched diligently. And what were they looking for? Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. That would come to you. Now we know the simple definition of grace is God's unmerited favor. But he said they wanted to know the details of the grace that would come to you. Let me expound on that a little bit. The very fact that we are able to experience saving grace personally is hinged on the fact that there was a Savior who was willing to die for us even when we were His enemies. And there is a Savior because there is a God of love who before the foundation of the world foreordained to redeem His people through the precious blood of His Son. The entire plan of salvation from start to finish is bound up in the grace of God and that grace was prophesied by the Old Testament prophets. You see, the Old Testament isn't just a dry history of the Jewish nation. 
It is the Word of God written for our learning so that through the Scriptures, we, the people of God, might have patience and comfort. But there's another point I want to make here. Talking about the grace of God. They prophesied of the grace that would come to you. You ever wonder why the Old Testament is so vivid when it comes to the people of God? I mean vivid in the sense that many times God wrote down, had written down the sins of our forefathers. Would we really like for all posterity to have God record our sin like He did the sin of Sarah or Jacob or Eli or David or Solomon? Why would you think God would do that? It was because of His grace that would come to us. Grace because we also are sinners and we stumble and fall. Grace, because when we go back into the Old Testament, we can find beautiful stories of restored saints. Yes, God recorded Sarah's sin in laughing at the promised seed, but He also praises her Christian character. He tells Christian women to model their lives after her in chapter 3 of this same epistle. Jacob, yes, he was a deceiver, but he was saved and his name was changed to Israel and he was the man of God from whom the entire Jewish nation descended. David committed horrible sin, but he wrote the first, he wrote Psalm 51 too and showed us the beauty of repentance. Solomon sinned horribly, but later repented and we have the book of Ecclesiastes as a result. And so on it goes. But the point is, the Old Testament is written by the prophets had the grace that would come to us in mind. They were inquiring and searching diligently and they were searching for details. Verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. They knew Christ was coming. They had the Spirit of Christ in them, but they didn't know what or what manner of time the Spirit was talking about. Now by this verse, we know that Jesus existed before He was born in Bethlehem. He didn't just come into existence at the Incarnation. And secondly, we also know that the Spirit of Christ was active in the prophets. That verse tells us that. And He was testifying beforehand concerning the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. The content of the testimony is listed. The order of events is given. In the Old Testament times, <coughs> the Spirit of Christ was in the prophets, testifying through them that the Messiah was coming. That Jesus was coming. And they wanted to know the details. What kind of world would the Savior be born into? They wanted to know that. What kind of kingdom would He establish? They didn't have all the knowledge that we have. Why is the Messiah sometimes presented as a suffering servant and other times as a conquering king? They, they wanted to know how does that fit together? How would the Messiah go about precisely bruising the head of Satan? They, they, they wanted to know. The prophets knew He was coming. They knew God would provide Himself as a lamb. They had the sacrificial system to teach them these things. They had the presentation of the crucifixion in Psalm 22, but there was a myriad of details that they desired, they wanted to know. And in order to try to find out, I want you to get this point real clearly, they used the means of grace. 
God had provided for them. They used the means of grace God had provided for them. They inquired and they searched diligently. I wonder, did we do that? We understand the sufferings of Christ because they're given to us in the New Testament. We understand some of His personal glory that He's attained because again, we can read of His ascension, His resurrection, His sitting at the Father's right hand, and the sending of His Spirit as His personal agent. But do we inquire more about these things through prayer? Do we go back and study the humiliation of our Lord that He went through in His Word and thank Him that He was willing to suffer and die that we might have eternal life? Do we recognize the position of our Lord and Savior now and, and meditate upon what that means to us in our daily lives as trials come in and as suffering comes in and as good times come? Do we really think about the mediatorial position of our Lord seated at the right hand of the Father in the position of power? And if we do see all these things, or some of them, are we seeking more information daily by His Studying His Word. Do we ask the Holy Spirit who He has sent to dwell within us to enlighten our minds and search for ways to be conformed to Him, to become more holy, to be more pleasing? The prophets did. And to them in verse 12, it was revealed. They, they, they learned some things by that searching and that diligent inquiry. It was revealed that they were ministering to somebody else. Not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering to the generation that Peter represented and the ones following. To the ones who would live in the time of the Lord's exaltation. They were ministering to a later generation. And when that generation came that actually saw the Lord Himself who talked to Him after His resurrection, who were filled with His Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and they began to preach all over the world the glories of the Gospel, the grace of God became more and more known. As the prophets were inquiring and searching diligently, it was revealed to them who they were ministering to. Now let's try to apply that thought. As we read the Scriptures, and as we inquire about details and we revel in the knowledge that God has so richly given to us, do we tie into all those thoughts? I wonder what God would have me do with the knowledge that He's given me. I wonder where He would have me serve with the abilities he has granted me. I wonder where He would have me minister in His name and who to minister to. The, the prophets did and the apostles did and, and we need to seek after that too. As I was saying earlier, the Lord has something for all of us to do. It's not going to be the same thing, but it is something that is bringing glory to Him that exercises the gifts He so richly pours into our hearts and that allows us the privilege of ministering in His name. 
But there's one more point here I want to get to right quickly. The latter phrase of verse 12. Things which angels desire to look into. Now there's only so far you can go with a, a thought like that, but there's a, there's a few things we might want to bring into our minds. The salvation we enjoyed was prophesied by the prophets. It was preached by the apostles. But now he says, angels desire to look into it. Paul talks about that over in Ephesians 3.10 when he says, by and through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. The concept is, is if the angels in heaven or, or, or here on earth are looking at us, the church, to see how the grace of God plays out in time. How the grace of God works to bring glory back to the giver. I don't know how much we've ever really thought about that. And as I say, there's only so far you can go with it, but where I went with it was I wonder sometimes what are the angels really seeing? I'd like to see they're they're seeing Christians united in love for God and love for one another and enjoying the marvelous grace of God and truly little Christ and truly ambassadors for God in His Word. I know that's what I would like for them to see in me and I'm sure you'd like for them to see that in you as well. But if we be honest, sometimes if they're watching real close, their lessons aren't quite so glorious, are they? They see Christians involved in various sins and not following as close to the Lord as they should. Maybe overlooking their devotions for a few days. Just all kinds of things, but let's you and I be different. Let's not live that way. It's much better for us to be a showpiece of God's mercy and show off the grace that He has accomplished in us. But it's time to get to my conclusion. Peter wants us to know we have a great position in our salvation. The prophets ministered. The apostles preached and they're still preaching in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit living within us. Each Christian teaching and learning through trials and sufferings and the glories that would follow. The angels are watching. But let's finish up with some of the same application I brought out earlier. The prophets inquired diligently. We should be doing that too. They followed the leading of the Spirit of Christ and we ought to do that also. They revealed to us that Christ was going to suffer first and then receive glory. He was humble before He was exalted. And that's the way God works in us as well. If we want to be exalted in the world to come, let's be humble in this world today. And then the prophets ministered. They ministered to the people they were living among. And by their writings, they ministered even to us today. All Christians are called to be ambassadors for Christ. As I mentioned, they won't all be the same way, but some type of ministry. Let us ask the Lord what He would have us to do for 
him. And remember, even the angels are watching. We are the recipients of God's mercy. We are on display, so to speak. Peter tells us that for the, one of the very reasons we are saved, or Paul, is that the, in the ages to come, God might show the exceeding riches of His glory in His kindness toward us in Christ. I'm sure that everyone that is here in this room wants to be a good demonstration of God's grace. Now, how do we do that? We inquire, we search, we minister, and we be, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we can live in ways that are found to be praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for these few moments we've had together. Thank You for these verses and the truths that are contained. Thank You for these dear people and their attention to the Word of God. And I pray that as we go back to our homes and other places today, that we would let the message of Christ sink into our minds. That we would desire to search and inquire diligently more and more than we ever had before into the things and glories of Christ. That we would want to find more ways and avenues of ministry in Your name. And that we would seek to live in ways that bring praise and glory and honor to You, our blessed Lord. We love You. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Pastor Pat, for another wonderful message from God's Word. I hope that you have enjoyed listening to Pastor Pat's message. If this has been a blessing to you, please like and follow this podcast and give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you would like to support this ministry and the other ministry opportunities at Faith Community Fellowship, please visit our website, faith-cf.org. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Community of Faith.